but we're glad that you're here. And so in honor of that, uh, we're going to open up Psalm 51, and we're going to talk about confession and repentance. So that's <laughs> what better way to honor moms today than a good message on repentance. All right, so uh, we're, we're in week three uh, in our series on prayer. And for the last couple of weeks, uh, both Gavin and myself uh, walked through two passages that really focused on hearing the voice of God, uh, 1 Samuel 3, where God spoke in an audible voice to Samuel. And then last week, uh, uh, Gavin, who did such a great job, didn't he do awesome? Uh, just such a great message on, on the gentle whisper of God to Elijah. Uh, and, and so uh, I want you to know that, you know, when we think about uh, a, a typical message, can never say, all you want to say in a 40-minute message, and uh, I know you're like, 40 minutes, when was that? Uh, uh, and so uh, we, uh, this week, Gavin and I are going to record a podcast and get it out to you, just maybe unpacking and giving clarity a little bit more to uh, uh, some maybe holes that are left because we can't say everything we want to say. So be looking for that this week, and uh, maybe it'll stir up some questions, uh, some great conversation. But this morning, I want to focus on an aspect of prayer, and that is confession and repentance. And so here's what, uh, here's how I want you to think about this. So the Holy Spirit, when you said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, right? So that is a part of the Trinity that comes and lives in you, kind of your communication uplink to God. He is the one that convicts you of sin, right? So he nudges you, always nudges you toward the way of Jesus. So uh, we're, we're, we're seeking to live the way of Jesus as followers of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is always kind of propping Jesus up, right? So he's pushing us toward Jesus. And so because of that, when we are not living the way of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is always trying to get us back in the flow. And so when we think about communication with God, so we, we hear, we fill the spirit through the word. We see where we're not living up and the Holy Spirit is illuminating a, a path that he wants us on. And so that's why sometimes when you're not living in a way that honors God and you follow Jesus, you start feeling that sense of everything's not right. Has anyone ever felt that way? Man, I, I'm, I'm out of alignment and that is the Holy Spirit really kind of nudging you, gently nudging you. Last week we saw it was in a still small voice, but he's always pushing us back into the flow where Jesus is. So um, Jesus in Matthew 6 taught us that confession is a part of prayer. And remember, he was giving us general terms. This is how you should pray. And he gets down midway through the prayer and he says, forgive us our debts. Other, other versions say trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And what he's saying is confession is an important deal. Yeah. It's important for us to confess our sins. And now he's saying it in a general sense, but uh, we'll see today in the passage, we gotta get very specific as we're confessing. I think it's too easy to go, God, forgive me where I fail you. And, and if you're like me, when my kids come to me and they're forced to say sorry, the follow-up question is, well, what are you sorry for? Because I want to know that you know, right? I want to I make sure that we understand what you think you're sorry for so that we can be in alignment. And so there are two terms that we use a lot in the church. We use confession and repentance, and we often use those synonymously, right, to both mean sorrowful, I'm sorry. 
However, both of that's a very incomplete definition of both confession and repentance. Confession, let me give you a definition that we're going to go by today. Confession is coming into agreement with God about the way things are. Okay, so what does that mean? It means simply telling the truth about a situation. So when we confess to God, we're actually just coming into alignment with him that we both have come to an understanding that what we're doing is sin, that what we're doing is willful disobedience, okay? So let me make sure that we're very clear. When you confess, it's not like God goes, wait, what? You did, are you serious? God is not really trying to get clarification from you about what you've done. He's just wanting to know that you understand where you are. Admitting that you have a problem is the first step to solving it, right? If you've been in any kind of 12-step program, you get that. (laughs) Confession, coming into agreement with God about the way things are, just telling the truth about a situation. Repentance is a changing of the mind. So confession is, hey, this is what's wrong. Repentance is, and here's what I'm going to do to change the future. For a lot of us, we've gotten pretty adept at confession, right? And so you've got a cycle of shame. There's something you do, you feel ashamed because you've been a part of it, and you say, I'm sorry, but then it comes back around, something triggers you, and you do it again, and you end up in the same place over and over and over and over and over and over and over, you know what I'm talking about. Because we've never gotten to a place where we have invited the spirit of God to say, change my mind about this. I don't wanna live this way anymore. And often it is pain is the activator of change, right? And for a lot of us, and, and maybe you're in the room today, and here's the bottom line, it has not yet gotten painful enough for you to live in a new way. And so you continue down this rabbit hole, this cycle of shame over and over because you're just not ready. You're holding on too tightly to what you think is gonna bring you life and it keeps bringing you death over and over and over again. And you confess, confess, you keep telling the truth to God because you and he both know where you are, but you've been unwilling to change your mind, to repent 180 degrees running in a new direction. And so those are the two concepts, confession and repentance. And hopefully with uh, maybe a new definition for you today, you can begin to operate in a new way. And so uh, in Psalm 51, uh, we're gonna walk through this passage, but let me give you uh, just a very quick setup. I took way too long in the first service setting this up. So let me just tell you quickly, if you haven't read it, uh, you can turn to 2 Samuel 11 in your free time, read through it. It's a story of David and Bathsheba. Everybody remember that story? So it starts off with, uh, in the springtime when kings go off to war, David stayed home. So the, the, man, the first recipe for sin is being where you don't belong, okay? So my dad used to say, nothing good happens after midnight. Anybody ever said that to your kids? Yeah, yeah, and it turned out it's absolutely true, right? So when you're not where you're supposed to be, bad stuff happens. And it says David, who's a king, wasn't living as the king. He decided he was gonna sit this battle out and he stayed home. As a result, he ends up wandering around on his balcony. He looks out, sees a good looking woman who happens to have no clothes on. He's like, she looks good. Summon her to come to me. She comes to him. They sleep together. She gets pregnant. 
not good. Fast forward, he wants to cover it up. Have you ever done something wrong and then tried to cover it up? Anybody? Some of you don't want to raise your hand because you're like, I'm trying to keep that a secret, right? So, So here's the deal. He tries to cover it up. He tries to cover it up by inviting her husband, Uriah, who was a part of his army, one of the leaders of his army, invites him home, gets him drunk, and says, hey, you should go home and sleep with your wife. And he says, I'm not going to dishonor my men by going home and sleeping with my wife while they're out in battle. An honorable guy. And so David, desperate to hide the truth, to suppress the truth, says, hey, send Uriah out to the front lines. He sends him out and has him killed. So now he's an adulterer and a murderer. And it says that uh, uh, after a time of mourning that he takes Bathsheba, they get married. Verse 27, maybe one of the biggest understatements of the Bible, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. You think? Okay, so let's just put a pin in that for a second. David was a man after God's own heart. He was hand chosen by God to be king. After, remember, the people chose Saul. Said, give us a king. The people said, Saul, good looking, strapping man. And he had no character. And he ends up being removed. The mantle of leadership is removed because he lied and he hid. And so now God has chosen David, who he said was a man after his own heart. So David, man, good guy. So think about yourself. Maybe you identify as a follower of Jesus and you pretty much have it all together. And yet when you're thinking about this passage, maybe you too easily identify. Good God, bad decisions. And one bad decision, the cover up. Bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. So Nathan, a prophet, comes to him and tells him this, uh, this fable, a parable about a rich guy who stole a young guy's little lamb, his only little lamb, and took it to sacrifice for himself. And David outraged, this man should be executed. And Nathan said, right, you're that man. Wait, what? And it's the moment when David is found out when David realizes that he has nowhere to hide, that he comes clean. See, for a lot of us, when we're found out, we continue to spin doctor. We continue to try to get out of it. Or I know so many people who have completely abandoned their faith because of bad decisions they made. Self-inflicted pain, an unwillingness to move forward and what God has for them. And so when push comes to shove, hey, I'm, I'm out. And so I want us to look at this beautiful picture textbook on this prayer of confession and repentance, David's heart, his pliability and how he responds to God. Look at verse one. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. So he starts out, have mercy, O God. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you deserve, a withholding of judgment. And so he's like, hey God, I am deserving of your judgment. Have mercy on me. But how? According to your unfailing Love. So the Hebrew word that's used here is hased. 
has said. And, and it's this word that is not just love, and it's akin to the Greek word agape that we talk about a lot, this unconditional love. But here's where it's a little bit different. It is specifically talking about the covenant that God made with his people. This covenantal love. God said, I'm gonna love you no matter what. So no matter what you do, I'm gonna continue to love you. I've made a covenant with you. And even though you have failed me, I'm gonna continue to make covenant with you. Who does that? Think about that. Think about there is a God that loves you so much that it is not contingent on your actions and activities for him to love you. Have you fully embraced that? You know, for the majority of people in here, I would venture to guess that you live unloved. That maybe you have an intellectual understanding of how much God loves you, but, but the way that you live your life, your actions and activities uh, show that you feel very unworthy or maybe afraid of God. You live in fear and it causes you to keep secrets. You know, first of all, God knows. So if you think you're hiding from God, not a recipe for success. But you know, we practice that in hiding from each other, right? We hide our stuff because we don't live loved. What would it be like to live loved and to live in a place of safety and security? It's where your kids live. Think about the way you love your kids. Moms, think about the way you love your kids. There's nothing you wouldn't do for them. I know you want to throat punch them sometimes, but uh, uh, for the most part, you love them, right? And there's nothing they can do to make you not love them. Now, they can make you very angry, right? You can get very frustrated. You can lose your Jesus at times. But at the end of the day, you love them. And, and think about how much you love them. And it is nothing compared to the hesed, the unfailing covenant love that God has for you. And that's what David is depending on. It's actually the foundation of his prayer. Hey, listen, have mercy on me because I know you love me. Have mercy on me because I know that I live loved. I know that you have chosen me. I have failed you, but, but my failure is not the prerequisite for your love. Was he guilty? <laughs> yeah, yeah, many times over. My, my youth pastor in high school used to say, hey, guilt is not a feeling, guilt's a fact. So if you're guilty, confess it. And I think a lot of us, we say, I feel guilty. No, you don't feel guilty, you are guilty. <laughs> and so the faster you get to that point and recognize that guilt is just a fact. And when you're guilty, Freedom comes through confession. Freedom comes from, man, I don't want to carry this anymore. But this is the foundation. I know you love me. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes into play. When, when the Holy Spirit lives in you, he is the one that is pointing you to the way of Jesus. He's saying, listen, where you are is not okay. But know this, the Holy Spirit never shamed you into repentance. In fact, it is God's love, it is his kindness that leads you to repentance. And he nudges you toward that place where you can be back in the flow. The most loving thing he can do 
is draw you and woo you back into fellowship with God. And so he goes on to say, blot out my transgressions. That's plural. He recognizes, this is where we get some insight, that he recognizes that it's not just one thing he's done. It's a lot of things that he's done, but it's actually really revealing his heart. His heart has been given over to a path that is leading him to destruction. But he says, blot out my transgressions. What he's saying is erase my sin. Erase it. Take it from me. When we look at 1 John 1, 9, John says this. He's, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and do what? Purify us from what? All unrighteousness. What does that mean? It means that when we come and we bring our stuff and we have a true heart of confession and repentance, God forgives and forgets. Guess who doesn't forgive and forget? You. Because you keep bringing the same things to him over and over out of a sense of unworthiness. And God's like, wait, what? What are you talking about? I forgave that already. You don't have to keep coming to me over and over again. You also don't have to keep doing the same thing over and over again. I've forgiven you. I've purified you from all unrighteousness. I want to give you a new mind and a new heart. Move on. What would it be like today for you to walk out of here knowing that you're loved, knowing that you're forgiven, and you can move on and chart a new path to the life that God has for you. Verse two, wash all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He's desperate to be cleansed. That word thoroughly there is, is really this word picture of, uh, imagine an old school washboard. And, and you're not just sprinkling some water on a shirt, man, you're scrubbing it. It's thorough, you're kneading it, you're wringing it, you're doing everything you can to get a spot out. And that's what he's saying, cleanse me from all my iniquity, wash me thoroughly. Verse three, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. That's ownership. I know my transgressions, I know what I've done, God. I'm not trying to pass it off on anybody else. I know what I've done. And he says, my sin is always before me. What does that mean? He brought sin into his house. He married sin. He partnered with sin. He has a child out of sin. And every day he's reminded of the thing that he's done, of what he's become. That's gotta be hard, right? And maybe there are things that you've done in your life and maybe you sit here today and you're like, yeah, my sin is before me every day too. I see it. I'm reminded of it. And David's taking full ownership. Full ownership. My sin is before me. You know, most of the time we grieve the consequences of sin, but not the sin itself. We hate the consequences of sin, all of us, right? Uh, sin takes you further than you ever tended to go, keeps you longer than you ever intended to stay, and costs you more than you were ever willing to pay. So it, 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 it costs you more, it keeps you longer. That's just the nature of sin. And so most of the time, we mourn the consequences more than we mourn the sin itself. And it's the difference, 2 Corinthians 7 says, between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Yes. Worldly sorrow that just mourns the consequences leads to death. 
and it keeps you in that cycle of shame. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, thinking in a new way, which leads to life. Verse four, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. So this is an important note. All sin is ultimately against God. Now, it seems like, well, wait, he, he really sinned against Bathsheba, right? He definitely sinned against Uriah. He's now got a child and he really kind of sinned against that child because uh, it was all done under cover of night. Uh, he sinned against the nation of Israel by suppressing the truth. I mean, he sinned against a bunch of people. The problem is all sin ultimately is against God. And until we get to that point where we recognize that our sin, that our failure is actually against a holy God, everything else falls short. Because what happens if we're only acknowledging sin here, we're gonna constantly be trying to make right, right stuff here, right? I'll spend my whole life trying to make it up as opposed to recognizing, hey, the broken relationship is actually between me and God. And if I can repair that, it makes this a lot more repairable. So um, I'm not going to get into my story too much, but um, when my life fell apart, 2010, Yvonne and I, uh, brink of divorce, lost my job, and our friends Brian and Candace Jenkins invited us over to their house. I'm sitting in front of him, and man, I was really upset because my life was falling apart. And it was fair for me to be upset, but I was still living in worldly sorrow because I was just, everything was unraveling and I'm still grasping at straws. And so for a big part of our conversation, I was still trying to kind of pin some of it on her, what she hadn't done, what had led us to this place in our marriage. And at one point, Brian looked at me and his eyes were filled with tears. And he's like, Greg, you've sinned against God. You've sinned against God. And there was something in that moment where the light went off that I recognized, oh my gosh, my only asset <laughs> was God. He's all I had at that point. And it was later that night that I just began to beg him, to beg him, God, please don't leave me, don't leave me. And I remember in that moment, just a very gentle, soft whisper, and what he said was, Greg, it's just you and me. It's just you and me. Don't worry about your marriage. Don't worry about your career. Don't worry about your future. You and me. Whatever happens next, it's between you and me. I want you to know some of you are still in that place where you're holding on for dear life because you're afraid of being found out. You're a slave to perception, a slave to what would be on the other side if I brought my sin into the light. And I want you to know what's on the other side of full ownership is freedom. Yes. Yes. Amen. When you ultimately say, listen, God, I, I sinned against you. This is between you and me. It's a reckoning. And know this, he will come to you and he'll say, hey, just between you and me. He's so gentle. Verse five, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful 
from the time my mother conceived me. Um, I love that David already understands original sin. He understands where it all came from. He says, listen, I was a sinner from birth. Maybe this is news to you today. Know this, you were born into sin. It is your natural predisposition. You have a predisposition toward independence from God. Some of you are thinking, well, no, you don't know me. I don't have to. It's all of us. Every one of us in this room, I use this illustration all the time, but it, but it hits home so well. If you have kids, remember the moment that they could walk and they could form words. They're getting into everything. They're willfully disobedient, yeah. right? They're, they're little demons and they're just, they, they're natural. It's natural, right? They have a natural predisposition toward independence. We call it sin. And, and, and we come by it naturally. And David recognized that. I mean, remember, brothers without a Bible, right? So it was being revealed to him from somewhere. He had some scrolls. He had the law in front of him. But he recognized that sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. In a few weeks, we're gonna start the book of Genesis and when we get to Genesis chapter three, we're gonna unpack that. Um, but just know, you are infected with sin. You can't get rid of it on your own. Verse six, yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Ephesians 2.10, we talk about it every week. That before the foundation of the world, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He's the activator to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. That while you were born into sin, he's always desired faithfulness in your life. In fact, he's created you, designed you divinely for a purpose, on purpose. That's good news, right? that you on your best day didn't have what it took, but he's always desired faithfulness. And Jesus is the activator. And I love that he says that uh, he gained wisdom in that secret place. That Jesus is just pouring it in. All the wisdom you need, all the truth you need, it's already been given to you. The Holy Spirit reveals what's already there. That's why the day the light bulb goes off and you realize, oh, I need Jesus. It's already there. Yes. You were made for truth. Verse seven, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. This is a picture of blood sacrifice. So in the Old Testament, they would take this branch called hyssop and they would dip it in blood and they would sprinkle it on the sacrifice. And it was the blood of the sacrifice that made you clean. So it's this picture of blood sacrifice, which is a placeholder for what? The cross, it's a placeholder for Jesus. Hebrews 9, 22, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. So here we are in Psalm 51, there's Jesus. He's on every page. It's this beautiful picture of needing blood sacrifice to be forgiven. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me. And I'll be whiter than snow. The blood of Jesus washes you whiter than snow. Again, what does that say? That your sin is not held against you? For some of you, you've started following Jesus, but you still have put an asterisk by your name, right? That 
yes, I've said yes to Jesus, I'm following Jesus, but I got a past. And so you spend most of your time talking about your past. Most of, most of your time talking about your failure instead of talking about your freedom. Yes, amen. It's not who you are anymore. You don't have to wallow in past fail, failures. Verse eight, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. That's an uplifting thought. Happy Mother's Day, right? <laughs> let the bones you have crushed rejoice. I mean, we walked through Philippians this spring and it was all about joy in the midst of hardship. If we don't believe God, that God is good, then we won't rejoice when he disciplines us. But when we know he's good, it's like, hey, a little bone crushing is probably good for us, right? I'd rather be in a wheelchair rejoicing in God because I know that I'm living and moving in his truth than to be wandering around with my legs, right? Doing my own thing. I don't even know where that came from. Yeah, let's just move on. Verse 10, uh, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create, create. This is something what? New. We create new things. He doesn't say, fix my life and get me back to where I was. Isn't that what we all want? Hey, fix my stuff because things were going pretty well and then they got sidetracked. So get me back on track so that I can do what I was doing. Create in me a clean heart. That's a picture of new. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man is in Christ, he's what? He's new. You're not just a better version of who you were. You're new. What does new mean? New. Yeah, for those of you that are new, I, I'm not, this is not rocket science, all right? What does new mean? New. Yeah, it means not old. You're new. And for so many of us, we're living like Lazarus when he was raised from the dead. And they had to tell him, hey, take off his grave clothes. He ain't dead anymore. We're walking around like spiritual mummies. You've been made new. Take off your grave clothes. And he's saying it. Hey, create in me a clean heart. Regenerate me. Give me a new heart. Man, if you're struggling in your marriage today, and all you're thinking is, man, I just want us to get back to a healthy place. Know this, God wants to give you a new marriage to the same person, but a new marriage. You know, some of you are like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the reason so many marriages are failing is because we're living under this idea that marriage is for your happiness. No, it's for your holiness. And sometimes it's bone crushing. Yes, it is. Yes. I mean, I love my wife. Man, this is going south in a hurry. <laughs> Create in me a clean heart. Regeneration, something that's new. And then he says, renew a right spirit in me. It's a picture of repentance. 
It's a picture of being renewed on the inside. When he renews our mind, when he renews our spirit, we begin to chart a new course. It's a new heart, new spirit, new path. Stop chasing things that don't bring life. Please. If you've been made new, live new. Stop holding on to the things that are just going to lead you right back to a place and you're going to keep confessing. You're going to keep living in shame. And he's like, no, let me give you a new heart and a new mind for a new path that I have for you. Some of you are wrestling with that right now as I'm saying that. You're wrestling with it because you're still holding on to old paths and you know that it's not gonna bring you life. Everyone in your life has told you it's not gonna bring life and yet you're holding on to it because you don't believe that God really loves you. You don't really trust God that he has something better for you. The foundation is not because of your said, because of your unfailing love, everything else is gonna fall apart. He's got something better for you. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit. Do not cast your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Please don't abandon me, but restore me. Sustain me. Again, I believe the American church is full of people that identify as Christian, but you just, you're sustained on junk food. You're sustained on things that don't bring you life. You're sustained on things that are promoting death. And so you're, you're just, you're getting fat on the world. And David gets it. He's like, hey, listen, I need the spirit to sustain me. I need to get in a place where our communication is open. I confess, I repent. Psalm 66, 18, uh, if if I don't confess my sin, the Lord's not gonna hear. It's building a wall between us. I've gotta open the pathway to communication. You know, uh, if you're struggling to, to discern God's voice, whether it be his audible voice, whether it be his word, whether it be through people, whether it be uh, however he speaks. If you're having a hard time hearing, there's a real good chance that you're, uh, you've got unconfessed sin in your life that you're not willing to let go of. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. (laughs) I love this. He's saying, listen, when you do this, because of your unfailing love, when you give me a clean heart, when you renew a right spirit in me, then I'm going back into the world. I'm going back into the burning building and rescuing people. So a changed life changes lives. And so if you're wondering, if you feel ineffective in your relationship with Jesus, if you feel like you're not making a difference, man, go back and chase this. 
Go back and say, listen, God, there are some things I'm holding on to. I want to be free to run. And when I feel free, I'm going to go be a part of freeing the world. I will be a world changer because I've been changed. It's John chapter 4. Remember the woman at the well? Man, Jesus shows up, reads her mail, and she is so overwhelmed that she runs back to the people in the village and says, come see a guy who told me everything about my life. They come out. The whole the whole village is transformed, but it started with a woman who was changed. And she practiced Psalm 51 right there. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. You know the whole purpose of your life is to bring glory to God. That's it. For some of you, you want to know God's will for your life? It's to know him and to bring him glory, period. It's not about you. On the whole list of of what your Christian life is about, none of it is about you. It's all about living into his divine design and the plan that he has for your life. Some of you are like, wait, it's not about me? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty simple. God is for you, but he's not about you. He loves you. And he's got much bigger plans in store for you than whatever small-minded plan you have for your own life. There's something bigger because he's made you for more, for more. Verse 16, you don't delight in sacrifice hard. Bring it, you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. So again, God is not interested in deal-making with you. Maybe you showed up to, to church today so that you could check a box because you got some things in your life and you're still living under the guise that the good outweighs the bad in the end. No, the bad's here. You need Jesus. You can never do enough good. It's not the point. It's when you release your life and recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. And know this, you can't buy your way into the kingdom through money, through talent, through serving. All of those things are great, but it's not the point. If you've ever read Amos 5, man, let that wreck you. When God says to the nation of Israel, away with the noise of your songs. I don't want your offering. It's a stench to me. (gasps) Yikes, that's scary, right? Because for a lot of us, we believe if we show up and raise our hands and sing that that counts for something. But know this, worship in here that is not translated to a transformed life out there is really worthless. God's not interested in your song. He's interested in your heart and in your life. And that's why we see this pandemic of pastors dropping by the wayside and people that are in ministry positions falling by the wayside because they're not living from Jesus, they're living for him. We live from a sinner that is Jesus and it's transformed. It's transforming my life first and then the lives of those around me. And he says, man, you, you don't care about my sacrifice. What you do care about is a contrite heart. You care about my heart. That is what you're drawn to. So let's take a deep breath. 
So this is kind of heavy today on Mother's Day. But know this, God's got great plans for you. Why? Because of his has said, because of his covenantal love for you. And he made his covenant good through the cross. The cross is this beautiful picture of God's sacrificial covenantal love. And he's inviting you into something bigger. And part of the path could be a short-term painful path. And that's bringing it into the light. First with him and then with maybe those that you've hurt that don't even know it yet. But it's where freedom begins. There's freedom in the truth. And so here are a couple of things that I want you to think about as we close today. Um, Number one, confession and repentance are important daily practices in the life of a believer. Know this, this is just a part of life. As we're living in Christ, he is gonna bring to our mind the Holy Spirit. Again, he's always uh, pushing us, nudging us toward the way of Jesus. And so when we feel convicted, we have to confess it, but not just confess it. God, change my mind about this. Change my mind about my actions and activity. Change my mind about my impatience. Change my mind about the direction I'm moving because I want to bring glory with my life. And so it's not a one-time thing. It's a daily thing that we come and say, hey, God, is there anything in my life, anything that's unpleasing to you? Psalm 139, search me and know my heart. See if there's any offensive way in me. Man, pray that prayer and see what happens. We just want to keep the lines of communication open. And again, if you're having trouble discerning the voice of God in your life, maybe it starts here. Maybe it starts with the heart that's open to saying, hey, I don't want anything to come between you and me. Number two, confession begins with an understanding of God's unfailing love. Because God loves me, I feel safe to share the ugly. Because God loves me, I feel like I can bring it to him and know that he's not gonna judge me, know that uh, now there may be natural consequences to your actions doesn't mean he doesn't love you. When have we ever not suffered the consequences of actions, right? That is not his punitive punishment. And the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he woos us because of his set, because of his unfailing covenantal love. Number three, God's goal is always freedom. It's always freedom. He doesn't want you to escape bondage to to move into a new place of bondage. He's not one to, you know, just hold you down with the law. He's not wanting to oppress you. He's wanting to set you free. And know this, if you've got kids, you know, when you set boundaries for them, they're free. They love it. They love to know where the boundaries are so that they can live in freedom and security. And God's goal for you is always freedom. It's always been freedom. Galatians 5.1, Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Why did he set us free? For freedom. That's it. He wants you to be free. And then number four, um, be specific, not general in your confession. 
Forgive us where we fail you, God. I think God hears that and he goes, okay, cool. What are you talking about? Again, confession is coming into agreement. Our, our, our granddaughter, Aubrey, she right now has a very hard time saying she's sorry. But if you coerce her enough, she'll finally say, sorry. And then I say, for what? <sighs> it's hard enough just to get her to say that one word. And now I'm like, no, you got to tell me why. What are you sorry for? Why? Because I want her to understand why we're having this conversation. And that's what God wants. Be specific. And here's the thing. The reason that we're not specific is because we're living under this false presumption that God doesn't know. <laughs> if I don't say it, maybe he won't know. Spoiler alert. He already knows. He already knows. He just wants you to release it to him. And so Jesus, we, uh, we come to you today with this because... Um, Every one of us, we want to be able to discern your voice. We want to be able to know your plan for us. And this is part of the, the pathway to understanding. Confessing the areas that we know are robbing us of our relationship with you. And then living in repentance, thinking in a new way. So this morning, I just want to invite you to do one thing. I just want you to ask the Lord, Will you show me any area of my life that is robbing me of my relationship with you? All over the room, I'm sure that you're maybe seeing pictures or people. Your mind's racing because maybe it's a number of things. Here's all I'm going to ask. Will you make this the beginning of a conversation with God? Don't let your relationship with God end here when you leave the building. Let this be the beginning. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And he is so crazy about you and wants so much for you and is inviting you into relationships.